Hey friends, Catlaw Hedquist here with a reminder that locally owned and artist operated bizbooks.net is still your best source for plays, acting books, scene books, teacher resources, and much, much more. And as you, like we, are clearly fans of Sabrina and YVR Screen Scene, we want to offer you 15% off your next purchase with the coupon code SCREENSCENE23. So come check us out at bizbooks.net, sign up for our newsletter, and follow us on social to learn what's new. And if you're in the Vancouver area, Watch out for one of our pop-up shops throughout the year to come say hello and shop in person. Remember, Screen Scene 23 promo code is only available at bizbooks.net for a limited time. This episode was sponsored in part by listeners like you. Join our Patreon community and receive early access to episodes, bonus content, stickers, buttons, and more. Visit www.patreon.com slash podcast. Welcome to the YVR Screen Scene Podcast, where we pull back the curtain and expose the beating heart of the Vancouver film and television industry, namely the actors and filmmakers and other talented artists who do the work, capital T, capital W. I'm Sabrina Rani Firminger. Filmmaking is a team sport. Numerous artists, long lists of artists, countless artists are involved in what can be a long and arduous journey to bring a story to the screen. And we here at the YVR Screen Scene Podcast salute every single one of those artists with reverence. All artists are important, but I would argue, I feel like I'm about to say something controversial, maybe it is. I would argue that the foundation stone for every beloved and moving and impactful and entertaining screen project is the story, the ideas, the words, the characters, the mood, the, in the parlance of the youth, and I have a 13 year old, so this is what they're saying these days, the vibes. Everything we love about film emanates from the story. Which is why I'm deeply honored to welcome today's guest to the podcast lab, Catherine Montague, Cat Montague, at K Montague, on all the socials. And P.S. isn't Montague a perfect last name for a storyteller? Cat is the head of the writing department at Vancouver Film School and has spent much of her career telling and shaping stories and helping others do the same. A distinguished writer, producer, script analyst and teacher, Kat holds a BFA and an MFA in creative writing, as well as being the recipient of multiple awards and development funding grants. Her impressive background includes writing for the television series Alienated and collaborating on a time travel novel to TV series adaptation with Sarah B. Cooper. Currently serving as, as I said, the head of the writing department at Vancouver Film School, aka VFS, and the senior story editor for Crazy Eights. I put so much love on Crazy Eights, and not just because I'm on the board, but the Crazy Eights short filmmaking competition. Kat describes herself as passionate about helping writers discover their unique voices. 
Thus and therefore, today we'll speak with this passionate and exceptional storyteller about her journey as a writer, her insights into the creative process, and her experiences as a senior faculty member at one of the leading film schools. Script analysis, story editing, the art of helping writers find their distinct voices. I have exclamation points all over the place, Kat. You probably don't like those. Pushing back against AI. Let's talk storytelling with one of our industry's preeminent storytellers. Kat Montague, welcome to the YVR Screen Scene Podcast. Thank you very much, Sabrina. How do you feel about exclamation points? I tend to think they make us sound about 13. So as long as you're okay with that, (laughs) use them. Funnily enough, because I have been, I have a 13 year old uh, who is, you know, like has just started high school and, and, you know, getting from the growing as a writer, you know, so I read the stuff that they wrote in grade seven and they would like write something with like three exclamation points after. And so now I'm like, okay, I don't think you don't think you need the exclamation points, you know, (laughs) and like the look of like, like the audacity of me to suggest that. Wow. I have a 19 year old and she makes fun of me for using any punctuation in texts. (sighs) And apparently a period is quite passive aggressive in a text which I did not know. I would actually say it's not passive aggressive because it's like, this is the point, literally. (laughs) I would agree with you, but a 19 year old apparently not the same opinion. Wow. Okay, and I have another question because I was a newspaper columnist for years. How do you feel about the Oxford comma? See, I didn't used to use them. I was brought up to use the Cambridge method, which is no comma, and then, I actually read a couple of those sort of memes of examples where <laughs> yeah. you don't have the Oxford comma. You're like killing your grandma stuff, right? Totally. Like- <laughs> and I read Eat, Shoots and Leaves, which is a fantastic, very funny book about punctuation. And I changed my mind. Wait, somebody wrote a whole book about punctuation? A whole book. It's excellent. Eat. It's actually quite funny. Shoots and Leaves. It, or Eat, Shoots, shoots and Leaves. But- yeah. Okay, well. Without, that- there's a panda on the front. Uh, it's fantastic. <laughs> and it's by Lynn Truss. Highly recommend. <laughs> a whole chapter about apostrophes. Ah, oh, oh, I love it. I'm so glad you're here. We're going to talk about all sorts of my, my stuff I haven't talked about on the podcast before, like punctuation. And um, I'm telling you, listeners, this is controversial stuff. I mean, you heard in my thesis statement, um, mm-hmm. the kind of the reverence, um, you know, that I place on all artists, but especially the storyteller. Tell me about the value that you personally place on stories and storytelling, especially and specifically in this, you know, film and television realm. Well, I mean, it's been kind of interesting lately because the writer's guild strike in America really just brought the industry to 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 its knees uh, because you can't do anything without a script. Yeah. And, it, you know, I think people forget that and they think, well, the director is clearly the most imper- important person on set. Therefore, you can't really do without them. And the actor, of course, that's who everybody sees. But if you don't have a script, you don't have a show. Yeah. And I think it's a good thing to remind people of that every now and then. Uh, because it is really important and replacing writers with AI, you know, I mean, again, my students sometimes try to do this. They hand in homework that's been done by ChatGPT. Well, okay, hold on a second. <laughs> and you are the head of the writing department. Well, the trouble is, I do warn them in the orientation, we can tell. Um, you know, because ChatGPT uses words that real people don't use. Do they do? But like, I like I can't imagine being because you know I studied English literature and I went to to when I was at Queens I like I was news editor and literary editor of the paper there. Like, I just I I love I was drawn to that that's 
that world because I love writing and I love words. I can't imagine getting accepted into the writing department at VFS. Like, do they think that like that they're trying to get something by you or do they think that like it's just a tool, like it's just another tool to use, like a word a, processor. I think it's a combination of the two. And it's not just not just VFS either. I've taught in lots of other schools and, and you know, it's a stressful environment with deadlines. Mm. And so when people are stressed, they look for a shortcut. And ChatGPT feels like a shortcut. And there are people out there who really believe that giving prompts is a creative endeavor. Yeah. The trouble is we don't know what happens inside the black box. So your your work that comes out at the end may include somebody else's words. And you don't know that you're committing plagiarism. You think it's a computer that's creating this text, but it may not be. And it's very clear that Midjourney, which is a vi obviously a visual yeah. uh, AI, um, is plagiarizing other people's images because yeah. sometimes the the little logo if a ap still in the corner <laughs> um so you just the trouble is you don't know who you're plagiarizing and that is a dangerous position to be in because someone can then look up those words there's turn it in which is a fantastic website that shows if students have plagiarized um they can find the original text and you're then in the position of having plagiarized something that you didn't even read. That's yeah. a dangerous position to be in. And, and you think that you're not plagiarizing because you're just using a tool that helps you think stuff out. Yeah, and it's a dangerous position. And also, if you're gonna study writing, you gotta just do it yourself. You just write, it's, yeah. a, it's joyful. Exactly, but I, it is also very hard work. I mean, yeah. it's the reason it's a job, not a hobby is that writing sometimes is agonizingly painful and oh, yeah. rewriting and rewriting and rewriting again, not easy. So I, there is temptation and I understand that. Usually by the time they graduate, they fully understand that the pain that leads to really good writing has to be felt. And yeah. AI is not feeling it. Yeah, yeah. Okay, we just got right into the, got right into the big stuff. <laughs> you know, before we do, I actually wanna go back in time and I love that you walked into my office and listeners know this office is filled with like, just me. It's just me and my toys, my photos, my actually not just toys, but collectibles that were collected. Um, a lot of nerd shit basically. Uh, and yes, Kat, please swear on this podcast. Um, and this is basically like the stuff that I care about and that I'm interested in. It's just like, it's, it's all there. A lot of it though, it's been the same thing from when I was a kid. Like even before uh, there was podcasting, because I was born in the 70s, like, you know, I lo love talk radio. I would make my own like little radio plays and I love sci-fi, hence my, all of my various, you know, Star Trek, The Next Generation, like collectibles and stuff. Doctor Who I watch with my mom, like love that. Who is your doctor, by the way? Well, I'm, I have to, I'm a little older than you. It was yeah. Tom Baker. Yeah, that was my I first doctor. I loved him. He was wonderful. When I was a yeah. little, little kid, like I was sort of scared. My cousin used to hide behind the sofa when Doctor Who was on. We she all was have a cousin like really that. Really scared. Yeah. <laughs> oh no, she was scared. She wasn't trying to scare you. No, no, she oh, okay. she was scared of of Doctor Who because it did have some scary bits. Pre but, yeah. But Tom Baker was like the low budget Doctor Who. Yeah, the so, scarf and the Jolly Babies, you know. <laughs> and, the, and the people in the green bean, uh, the green uh, sleeping bags that looked like caterpillars <laughs> that had been taken over by an alien so creature great. or something. So great. Oh, I love them. Yeah. Uh, okay. Well, so so from that was like Tom Baker is totally my first doctor um, and then uh, 10 and I guess he's 14 as well uh, T David Tennant was my it's all about David Tennant I mean I love Christopher <laughs> Eccleston he was great but David Tennant oh my god yeah, I love him he was and the great. fact that he came just came back yeah <gasps> and, and Russell T Davies came back so yeah. so basically what I was trying to say and I didn't even get to say it 
I think we have a lot in common. Um, and you noted that we have a lot in common. Yeah. And I'm saying that a lot of the stuff that that you see here is stuff that was important to me even when I was when I was little, including actually that's my type. My grandmother was a journalist, and that was her typewriter, and that's what I learned on. Mm. Um, so take me back in time then, and we're gonna get into we'll get into. We'll get into the Tom Baker. We'll get into we're in Tom Baker's TARDIS. Set the coordinates. Um, take me back to like a moment in your childhood that uh, gave us gives us some kind of indication, you know, as to you know the Cat Montague that you would you would grow to be. Well, I mean, I grew up in, a, in 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 an unusual situation for a writer. My father is a farmer, so I grew up on a strawberry farm in England. Where in England? And in the sort of southeast, so near Ed Sheeran country, uh, that kind of yeah, just okay. two hours. Uh, I and got half married hours. in Eastbourne, and oh, my husband's right? from so that's uh, South South. Yeah, and we're South Southeast. Southeast. Yeah, cool. Yeah. Okay, and I can pay, I can picture it, right? Yeah. So it's very idyllic, very yeah. beautiful, um, but it's you know it's an odd background for a writer. Um, most people are in the military or they're farmers, that kind of thing. But my mom was a sort of unusual figure. My mom was, um, when she was young, like 19, that kind of age, uh, she wanted, she was a reporter and she was doing society pieces and fashion stories and things like that. But she wanted to be a crime reporter. And she was in Sydney, Australia, and she was trying to get a job as a crime reporter. And the editor wouldn't give it to her. He just, you know, we're not up for that. Yeah. A woman. And also, it's you. And she's like, what do you mean it's me? And and she was very, very pretty, my mom. Yeah. So like, I, you should be doing the society things. You should be. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so she lucked into a story. Um, and it was bad luck for the people involved. But um, there were some young women at her modeling agency who were abducted. And oh my gosh. She knew them. So she wrote the background of, for the piece for the newspaper and it ended up getting published word for word with no byline. So she, I know, it was 19, it was the late 1950s. So she went to the editor and said, I want, you know, I want a job as a crime reporter. I've proved to you that I can do this. You published my piece. And he jokingly said, become Miss Australia and I'll give you the job. And she shook his hand. She ran for Miss New South Wales and she got it. She ran for Miss Australia and she got it. And then she went back to him and she said, I want that job. You promised. And he gave it to her. So she was simultaneously Miss Australia and a working crime reporporter. And sorry, was- Kat, I, and <laughs> listeners cannot see my face right now. Have you, I mean, I, I don't want to like f- skip to it, like your part of the story, but have you written about oh, your a mom? pilot. Yeah. 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 <laughs> okay, yeah, good. Yeah. I want to see the series. <laughs> she was just a fantastic character. You know, yeah. she ended up uh, moving to the UK, working for the BBC, hosting television shows, and she ended up marrying my father, who was a very handsome farmer. Um, and so he, they're, so they're also a Hallmark story. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was a real romance. He asked her to marry him six times before she said yes, because she was very wary of losing her career, her writing, all of that. And then she had four children in, in four years, because I'm a twin. Um, and it was a really interesting house to grow up in, because my father is very British, very straightforward, stiff upper lip. My mother was an avid reader and a writer. And she was always, she always had 14 books on the go at once. She used to take me to the library. Like any writer, right? Yeah. (laughs) We have our piles. Exactly. And so growing up in that household was fascinating. Did your mom um, keep her sense of self? Oh, very much You know, because like my grandmother, and I was telling you about like the the typewriter, 
Um, and actually, when I won it, because I know we both won, um, it's now Gems Vancouver, but back back before it was Women in Film Television Vancouver, you know, one of the things that you get when you, if you win one of their awards, uh, their Spotlight Awards is a photo shoot with Wendy D. And you can bring either a person that means a lot to you or an item. And I brought my grandmother's uh typewriter you know that that I learned on um but I know my grandmother had seven kids you know and it was really hard for for her you know especially with each kid and with Mm -hmm. poverty and all of that you know keeping her sense of of self I know that reading and also journaling and her career did help with that you know I think I mean we were I was lucky I you know I came from a position of, of somewhat of privilege right we had a nanny yeah. And our nanny's beloved. She's still part of my life now. Yeah. And so she made it possible for my mom to have some time to herself. That's when so she was still living us. in a house with four small children. But yeah, um, yeah she was a wonderful person, really yeah. interesting. Um, and that background really made it possible for me. No one looked surprised when I said that I wanted to be a writer. Yeah. Um, you know, she died when I was a child, when I was t- 11. But my father didn't have the same understanding of what I wanted. Yeah. But I always had this strong sense of my mother would approve. Mm. So when I told my father I wanted to go to university, he said, you know, I've never really understand the point of further education for women. Um, my dad's a farmer. Right, yeah. so he he was just trying to save me some heartache. Yeah, uh, but I knew my mother would approve. Yeah. I knew that she would want me to go. Yeah, so it's always been in the back of my mind that she is supporting me and that she loves what I do and that she would be proud uh, of the person I've become. And also, you know, she encouraged me. And I feel like writers we often pass that along that encouragement that we get from other people. Yeah. and and pay that back. You know, pay it forward rather. I mean, because sometimes like that's all that we have to keep ourselves going during those those hard times. Yeah. Um, what what were some of the books, you know, that your mother shared with you? I read everything in that yeah. house. So I read things that were hopelessly inappropriate for a yeah. child my age. <laughs> <laughs> I think I read Annika Renner when I was 10. Uh, and I I had read... Warren's, At 10? Yeah, yeah. I, a lot yeah. of it went over my head, yeah. right? admittedly. I read it again later and I was like, I don't remember this. Um, yeah. But, you know, I would read anything that was there. Yeah. And we went to the... I was a library user. So mm-hmm. I read voraciously and everything. And it's kind of wonderful now because, I mean, I really have read all the great novels. And so now I can read whatever I want. If I feel like reading urban fantasy, I will read urban fantasy. Yeah. And if I feel like cheesy, cheesy rom-com, sort of, I'll read that. Yeah. Um, and it's kind of liberating. Yeah. I think sometimes people feel like when they read something, it has to be worthy. And mm. I don't agree. I think when you read something, it has to be fun. Oh, you know what? Right? I just was, I was thinking recently about my, um, my last year at Queens when I was news editor of the journal and we were we were putting out two issues a week and I like so as a news editor I had a full staff of writers one of them was was a Omar El Akkad who has gone on to be a big journalist and his book won like Canada Reads and my editor is like now one of the editors of the Globe and Mail like we didn't have a journalism program but we were making papers and uh, that like art, we had put out our first big paper, uh, which we would do like an overnight on a Monday, you know, pull an all nighter. And plus it was like one of our first ones. So we were exhausted. And then like the, that we get, you know, I get home and it was breakfast time. And then I, I, my mom calls me and she's, she was telling me about that the World Trade Center was on, you know, and so like we were, uh, and so I watched it and my cousin had worked right there. And, um, you know, at that point you didn't know what was gonna happen to the world. And uh, we were a military town with a big student, American student population, and we were near the border. So we're like, let's put out a paper. (laughs) And so it was like, it was a wonderful, like, 
it was a grueling and awful day, but also like a a really good experience. But that term, like the paper, like, and I was taking like, you know, the senior courses and everything. And so I was like, I, I, I dropped one course because I'm like, my workload is too heavy. Um, and then I saw that like one course that was available, the only course that I could do was a children's literature course. And I just was like, okay, fine, whatever. And I, when I look back on like fall, winter 2001, don't think about, you know, the uh, British uh, Renaissance literature course, or I think about, you know, get like l getting, home from the paper and being like okay I gotta read Lion the Witch in the Wardrobe okay I gotta read A Wrinkle in Time okay and yeah. it was just like I was so just it was like it was like a survey of you know um of uh, you know the great novels of of children's literature and I'm like wow I need to start reading for pleasure again yeah. you know because it's so like those are the stories that stay with me and I just was like had a big smile on my face you know so yeah, like I think it's not. It does not pay to be snobby about yeah. <laughs> about reading, right? Like, if some, even if something was written for a child, if it could move you and transport you and challenge you too in some way, like just read. Yeah. My kid loves graphic novels. Read them. It's art. Enjoy. Incredible I read storytelling. Sandman. When Sandman first came out, yeah. I was living next door to the comic shop on Fifth yeah. Avenue. And I was, I bought I that, that comic yet. book. <laughs> I was anywhere where it was now. It's probably valuable now. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they were great. I mean, you know, the graphic novel, a lot of our grads go on, I obviously Vancouver Film School, our screen, you know, the screenwriters, they go on to write novels, they go on to write graphic novels, they yeah. go on to write comic books, animation, games, all kinds of things. Yeah. And it's really interesting because I think there used to be such a big divide between what was considered pulp and what was considered literature. Mm. And I really feel like that is not the case now. Yeah. If you look at someone like like Neil Gaiman, you know, he's transcended all of those genres. Yeah. And he's also sort of knocked down those walls. Yeah. And I think that's wonderful because some of the most influential shows, particularly television shows, yeah. you know, of the last 20 years, you know, have been genre. And they mm. are things which really change the way that we think. And, and again, Next Generation, Star Trek Next Generation is one of them. Yeah. They had a philosopher on staff. There yeah. is, you know, there, there are a few shows that can genuinely say that they changed the cultural dynamic. Yeah. That is one of them. Yeah. How did you get into this realm of screen storytelling? It, it was actually U UBC. I came to UBC wanting to be a novelist. That's what I had in mind because I was consuming novels voraciously as I said um, and they make you try three genres when you do a creative writing degree at UBC you have to so I did uh, poetry which I'm terrible at um, I, I did children's which uh, I'm okay and I have to say not great um, I did obviously novel and short story um, and then I had to do one more and there was a screenwriting class and I love movies I've mm -hmm. always loved them you know again I, I consume them voraciously as well I would have um I think when I was living in Sydney, Australia, and I, I had a John Malkovich uh, marathon, everything yeah. John Malkovich had ever done yeah. up until that point, <laughs> uh, things like that. Like I, I'm, you know, voracious on it. And I love television as well. Um, so I thought, yeah, I'll take this course. And it was Ian Weir that was teaching it. And oh, oh I love Ian Weir. I mean, yeah. he's a wonderful writer himself. He's a, a, a great instructor. He wrote Dragon Boys and yeah. Edgemonts. And, you know, he's he's still working. Yeah. I saw him last year in a, at a writer's festival. Oh, fantastic. Uh, he's a wonderful writer and a lovely guy. Yeah, so, so UBC was, you know, they made me, sort of pushed me to try different things. And taking that course with Ian, I took another course the next year also with him. 
And it sort of opened my eyes mm. and it made me realize that's what I wanted to do. And I didn't know anyone in film and television. I was a complete newbie, as newbie as you can be. So I went to the cold reading series mm. and it was when Laurie Triolo used to yeah. organize it. Um, and I submitted a script and I was so terrified. I pretended not to be there. They called my name to introduce my own script. And I just looked around like, hmm. I, pretended I can't not believe she's not here. <laughs> she must be in the bathroom. I was so scared. And then they read my script and I got to see people laugh and gasp and do the things that people do. Oh, I was bitten, you know. Wait, sorry, I need the ending for that story though. At the end where you're like, Guys, joking, no, I'm here. No, no, I never told anyone. It was my script. I was, I mean, I'm Well, you're telling people now. <laughs> uh, I'm, I mean, now I, I, I'm very comfortable talking to people. I, yeah. I taught a lecture at UBC where I was teaching 125 people in a huge lecture theater. Yeah. And I feel very comfortable doing that now. But at that time, I had just graduated from university. I was working as a waitress. I had no credibility as a writer and I was terrified. Yeah. And so it was really about, um, hearing my work and seeing the faces of the actors. And I just, it was like a bug, I was bitten. Mm. And, and it was within a year that I made my first film um, as a producer, because I started making films. I didn't know anything about filmmaking, yeah. but I thought, well, I, I can put on a party. I can probably make a film. Uh, so I started making films. Transferable skills. Yeah. Yeah. And it was, you know, <laughs> it was just really fun. I loved it. And I, you know, I was writing features and it was all about features for me at first. Yeah. Um, and then I went to Praxis and I did the fellowship, the Praxis, the fellowship. Praxis fellowship. They yeah. trained me then in the story. They had a story editor and training program and I took that and I loved it. I had John Frizzell as a mentor and, you know, it was just an amazing thing. Um, and, and then I was working for what was BC Film then, it's now yeah. Creative BC. I worked for maybe, I don't know, 10 different companies around town yeah. as a reader. Um, and what was, a way to learn too, eh, reading. Oh, I just read so many scripts. Yeah. And it, you very quickly realize, you know, there's a lot of scripts that, and then there's some really great scripts and you have that frisson of envy. Yeah. I wish I had written that. Yeah. And that's the thing that makes you keep writing yeah. because you're like, ooh, I could be better. Yeah. I could write like that. But what were some of the, um, the, the mistakes that you made early on that, oh, you, that you kind of cringe at. <laughs> the mistakes I still make now. Yeah. I love period historical. Yeah. And it's so expensive and difficult to make. And so my first, you know, three or four samples were all period. Yeah. And, and it really um, messed up my career um, because it's, especially here, it's very difficult to make period here. Yeah. And if anyone out there is thinking about writing historical, please don't. Write something <laughs> contemporary. Uh, write something that in the present day that could be made. And if it's going to be sci-fi, make it sort of, they call it grounded sci-fi, low Ooh. budget sci-fi. Yeah. Do that. Because your big period pieces and even the time travel series that Sarah and I were pitching, it's so hard to make them because yeah. they are so expensive. And you know, the average episode of a television show costs about $2.5 million, mm -hmm. like in Vancouver, like something like Van Helsing would yeah. be 2.5 million. Um, you know, and Doctor Who is remarkably affordable considering the, the giganticness of it. Yeah. Um, but you know, the, the average episode that we estimated for the show that we were pitching that period, sort of time travel-y show, it was more like, 12 million an episode and then you get to lord of the rings you know the series of that or game of thrones mm -hmm. and they were getting up to 40 million an episode 
which is <laughs> you know that's a very difficult you know thing to sell yeah um so that was the mistake that i made yeah what about um i mean you mentioned like the you know period pieces but what about like tones moods vibes like you know or like were you into comedy were you into like you know um the clashes of personalities like what what, what was well, what was of interest to you interest of to you you know at the maybe the beginning of your career and like what's what interests you now well i mean it's interesting i think at the beginning you don't know who you are yet yeah and so i was interested in everything yeah. i mean i love comedy as a consumer of yeah. media i love comedy oh my god um you know i mean amy sherman paladino is one of my favorite writers mm -hmm. right gilmore girls and marvelous mrs Maisel. um but you know there when i was growing up it was soap things like that so love that show yeah. it was so funny um but i'm not a comedy writer i'm mm. i i can do sort of dramedy ish um but uh, you know alienated the show you mentioned earlier was sort of a dramedy comedy mm -hmm. um and I, yeah i could get away with an episode or two but um but i'm really not that i'm a one-hour drama writer yeah and it took me a while to sort of realize that and and also that there's a particular kind of character that i think i write well um and you know smart women dimensional villains you know like i i'm interested in character-based story yeah. that comes from character and then goes to plot yeah. that's what i love so i think finding yourself that's when your writing gets good yeah you know i think when you uh, i always think about a student i had many years ago lovely fella um, and he was writing stories about assassins and and they were okay they were not great they were just okay yeah um and so but i kept seeing him in the hallways and every time i saw him in the hallways he was cracking people up yeah. oh my god he was always surrounded by three or four people laughing their asses off so i had a mentorship meeting with him and he was planning his second feature and he was like i'm gonna tell another story about assassins and i was like well norm what about writing a comedy? And he's like, no, no, no. I want to tell stories about assassins. And I was like, but don't you think it would be good to just try writing a script about about you know a comedy? Yeah. And he was like, let me think about it. So he came back a couple of weeks later, and he's like, yes, I have a I have a plan. I have a story. Um, and he wrote the most hilarious script. It was absolutely great about a a young drug dealer who falls in love with a woman who has a who has a son and he has to kind of get his act together hmm. uh, but in order to do that he has to do the one last thing yeah um and it was so funny was the one last thing assassinate somebody no <laughs> <laughs> the one last big drug deal, drug deal. it was okay, that okay, kind okay, of okay. um but you know he ended up getting that optioned and developed you know he really wow uh, he did well you know i don't know if it ever got made i sort of lost track of him i should find out where he is now um, but yeah. it was really wonderful to see him find his voice. Yeah. And he went from being an average, mediocre writer to being really good. And that that jump, that arc in a writer's life yeah. is so exciting when but people what, figure out who they are. What's interesting, though, is that you, as a mentor, helped him figure that out. And I'm like, I'm trying to do that in a different way sphere i guess as a parent <laughs> to be like like to see the things that like there are things that my my kid like they say they want to do and pursue but then i'm like you know i've known you for a long time and i'm seeing like the way that this spark seems to spark joy whatever why don't you try this you know like that so in order for like norm to you know find his voice like you as like an educator and mentor you know had to be listening and to be like actually maybe you should also you know assassins are fun <laughs> you know but like try the comedy thing like that's that's uh that's an interesting like that 
makes me look at that mentor role mm. as being even more um like important and and he might have tried it and yeah. and it w- didn't work for him right that that happens sometimes yeah, but he might actually be an assassin now yeah <laughs> like, exactly. he's like damn it cat you broke my cover <laughs> but i think sometimes we have this view of ourselves and the view that we have is not really the way other people see us mm. and i think that's very interesting especially for writers yeah. like we're always thinking about the dynamic between people and your true identity versus your hidden identity yeah. and you know i mean there are so many wonderful stories about that about people living a double life Mm. and those are always interesting to me and maybe it's because of my mother because she lived the double life with being a beauty queen and being a a crime reporter and and I feel like I've lived a double life at various points in my life I you know I just think that's very interesting and we are all drawn to a particular kind of story yeah and the ones that suit our authorial voices are where we succeed I think yeah can we talk about story editing? Yeah, of course. A little bit because like I think when I hear when I hear your name, I think story and story editing. Mm-hmm. Um tell me about the you know the 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 joys and the challenges of well, first of all for my listeners, tell us what it is. Yeah. You know, and and then talk to me about like you know the the joys and challenges that that you know you find in this, you know, in that work. Well, story editing is when you uh, uh, you take on a writer, and sometimes it's a young writer, or it can be just a writer who is maybe struggling with a draft. Mm-hmm. Um, and it used to be part of the Canadian system that Telefilm would give you money as a producer to pay for a story editor. Fantastic. And the story editor would work with the writer to try and get the script ready for production. So it usually works like this. You read a draft. Um, you decide whether you want to work on that project or not. Mm-hmm. And usually I I have a, sp- a skill set. My skill set is structure. It is character developments. Um, and it's theme. Mm-hmm. What does it mean? That kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so those are my skill sets. So people would generally bring me on board if they were struggling with one or all of those things. Yeah. And then you give feedback to the writer. And it's quite detailed. Like you would read, a, I would read a, a feature film script eight pages of notes maybe yeah really detailed wow. with specific page numbers examples that kind of thing and then after that we'd sit down and have a meeting and talk about what the writer wants what do they want this to be because we all have this glimmering vision in our minds of what our scripts are going to be yeah. and then we write them and they're not that <laughs> it's very it's very disappointing um and the story editor's job is to try and help you get it to be that gorgeous glimmering thing that you first had in mind yeah um and achieve that or maybe even evolve it into something a little different but equally wonderful so you sit down together and it's usually that first meeting is about three hours long wow. maybe even longer and you figure out what the writer wants that you know which notes resonate with them and then you build rewrite plan and it's really specific it's like 10 things to fix wow i mean i would think that uh sitting down with a you know with a writer who has poured everything into the script and and you are providing you know notes and stuff like that that can be you also have to not just take in you know themes and characters and story but also like um you know the artistic temperament and like you know all of like the the kind of maybe wade through the emotions you know or the yeah. psychological stuff that the writer might have attached to like is that something that is part of that because it's a so. relationship right i mean i've taught people story editing for many years and i always talk about the shit sandwich and the shit sandwich is the way you give notes so you begin with praise and it's not you know blowing smoke it's honest praise like what do you actually like what works in the script what moves you what's your favorite scene who's your favorite character 
What do yeah. you like? And then you move on to the things that maybe you don't understand or they don't really work yet or yeah. whatever. And then at the end, you've got to come back and really um, give encouragement because writers, I mean, we are, it's weird. We're the strangest people because we're megalomaniacs. We want to change the world, right? Yeah. That's what we really want. We're also super insecure. Yeah. Um, so, you know, a writer generally finishes a script, loves it for about five minutes and then wants to destroy it. Yeah. Right. That's every writer feels that way. I mean, even when I was a newspaper columnist for the decade, I did that. That was it's quite normal for us. So part of the job of a story editor is to get the writer to want to rewrite it. Yeah. To want to spend hours fixing this flawed thing and making it good. Yeah. Because that's when the good writing happens. It's in the rewrite. And the average for a, a drama would be about eight rewrites. If you're writing comedy, it's more like 13. Whoa. It's a lot of rewrites. And having someone who can guide you and give a bit of perspective, yeah. help you figure out what you want to do in the next draft is so helpful. How do you know when it's good? Well, I mean, I tend to work on about three drafts yeah. uh, as a story editor, and most story editors do about three. Um, at that point, the script goes back to whoever is producing it it could be a distributor who gives feedback yeah. at that point it could be the studio it could be the network um it could be a, you know just a production company development executive and they'll give their notes and sometimes they're like this is great we're going forward and sometimes they're like no we don't like it and you know you have to deal to deal with that yeah. um and it's not easy development is the most heartbreaking thing some of the best scripts i've ever worked on didn't get made yeah um as a writer myself and also as a story editor and it's frustrating um, because your their job is not just to serve the art of what we do and make the best scripts into films or television series. Their job is to make something for which there is an audience. Yeah. And, and it's a very frustrating business. Um, development. They used to call it development hell. Um, and that's fair enough. Uh, yep, really, yep. <laughs> yeah, it, it's very frustrating, um, but it's also very exciting. And, you know, spending your life, as I have, in coffee shops with writers, what could be better than that? I would say sitting at this table talking to artists, <laughs> but I think it's basically the same, like the same kind of yeah. the same kind of thing. Yeah, it's very inspirational. What about your students then? Like, what are like what excites you about what you're seeing now in your students? Like. It, be, be like let's remove the chat gpt or the, you know, yeah, the, yeah, yeah. the ai from it but you know like they're like what are the what are you oh, seeing they're, the, they're, they're the exceptions people who yeah. do that kind of thing no no my students are amazing yeah you know and i i see only you know a, a rise in their ambitions and in their abilities it's been kind of incredible i mean the last four years vfs has been the writing program yeah. has been writing for film, television, and games. So the games program is relatively new for game writing. Yeah. Um, but you know, our students are succeeding yeah. in that genre so much, and and in the television genre. I will just say, like, um, one of the things. So my husband, he was a uh, first. Um, well, first he was an IO guy at Rainmaker, and then Ooh. he was a visual effects editor, um, and then he moved from you know like being a visual effects editor on like big film things to um, like he was basically plucked to work on in-game cinematics, you know, and like that was back in like the like 2008, 2009, where like the games industry was like, we want like 
people who've worked in film and TV and like Polygon, you know, doing film production at UBC. And he's like, we want like people who are from that realm because those are the people who tell stories are stories are stories, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. And so it was really like a, so it's like games are not, it's not like a, oh, games, like there's no story. Yeah. Like it's no, you like, it's an exciting realm in which to well, tell stories. And, you know, it's like basically like entering a movie in a lot of ways or your favorite TV show. It's interesting because, I mean, when I started, I was sort of snobby in film. Film. That's what I was only film. <laughs> and then I fell in love with television, you yeah. know, in the in the period of Six Feet Under and Sopranos and those, and oh, oh television. Yeah. I love television. Still love it, yeah, you know. The Wire. The Bear <laughs> now. And, yeah. and, you know, I've just been watching Slow Horses, which, oh my God, Gary Oldman. So great. Yeah. Um, but during COVID, uh, I bought my husband a Nintendo Switch. It was just a gift for him. I gave him Mario Kart 8. He likes car racing. I thought he's just going to enjoy this thing. It'll be nice for him. Yeah, like while, nice of him. <laughs> yeah, while I'm writing my TV pilots, he can go off and play this game. Um, and then he bought me, as I think it was a birthday present or something, Legend of Zelda Breath mm. of the Wild, right? And anyone who's played this game knows the reverence in my voice mm. when I'm talking about Breath of the Wild because yeah. it is one of the most beautiful games. Yeah. And uh, I started playing it with him and I fell in love. I never realized what an art yeah. writing for games could be. It's a Japanese game, yeah. it's stunning, yeah. it's open world. It's just magical. And you can be different people when you're playing that game. The first time we played it just straight through, it was fine yeah. with Rob. And then I played it on my own. And the first time I played it as an avaricious millionaire, I wanted every rupee that you could get in yeah. the game. And then I played it as a vegan who only defends themselves. So I didn't kill anyone who wasn't trying to yeah. kill me. And like all these different ways of playing that game. And I, I came to realize how deep the, and rich the storytelling was. Yeah. And then of course, The Last of Us, right? And now Baldur's oh. Gate and Alan Wake yeah. 2. I mean, wow. I had no idea I was going to be sitting down with a real gamer today. I, I've become a fan, <laughs> yeah. you know. And I mean, it's, it was very exciting for me because being able to take over as the HOD at VFS Writing, you know, my predecessor, oh my God, what a wonderful man. Like Michael Bazer, uh, he was a sitcom writer for many years, and, yeah. but never played games and didn't really have that same appreciation that I have. Yeah. And for me, being able to develop that program and, you know, and work work with our wonderful game instructors and add amazing courses. Yeah. Like we're doing it, we're gonna add a game modding course, which we're gonna use Baldur's Gate 3 for. And it's gonna be so fun. I mean, I want to take that course yeah. as well as plan <laughs> that course. Uh, I think you, know, you should. <laughs> I, I definitely should. will. Um, but it's, you know, it's been, it's, it's been amazing to see people who develop simultaneous parallel careers in both. You know, yeah. we have a, a grad of our program called Tyler Burton-Smith, and he wrote Child's Play, which was a Chucky, a mm -hmm. Chucky thing. He wrote um, Kung Fury 2, which is this amazing Schwarzenegger, again, uh, yeah. just about to be released. Um, and, and he just won the best narrative for Alan Wake 2 at, wow. at the Game Awards. Yeah. And he was a, a comedy writer who wrote sitcoms when he was our student. Yeah. But he went on to find his voice in horror and games. I think there's a lesson in that too, you know, about like, um, I mean, not just listening to your your mentors, which is another lesson, um, but also just like, like allowing yourself to like, you know, 
go into the unknown, you know, or to try something new because you have no idea, yeah. you know, and like right now there's such movement, you know, I mean, even, you know, um, our company, you know, we do, uh, we work in, in games, we work in film, we work in web series, we work in music, like you just, we can move around because, you know, storytelling is storytelling is storytelling. Yeah. I've had guest speakers who came yeah. into my class who would do both, like I had Philip Gillette and he's a game writer, but yeah. he also writes for Love, Death and Robots, right? Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Um, and people like that, they're just very inspirational because they're not closing themselves off. They're not yeah. saying, well, this is the genre that I do. Um, they are open-minded storytellers. And that's what I want for, for our graduates, for any writers who are coming up to yeah. stay open and to work on anything that sounds interesting to you. Yeah. I mean, it's the best thing about being a writer is that you are self-employed and you can take a job or you can say no to a job yeah. and it's, I mean, sometimes it's about money, but mostly it's not. Mostly it's about, would that be interesting to me? Mm. Would I have fun doing that? Will there be cool people to work with? And I mean, that's what makes it magical. And I was gonna say like, that must also keep it from being, um, from being stale, like, you know, and yeah. feeling like getting stuck, yeah. you know? Cause like, I know that that can happen in anything I, I know you said like I mean and I said I don't like boxes and and stuff um, but one particular kind of spatial box that I'm obsessed with are writers rooms oh. um, and I've had like I've had uh, Dennis Heaton Simon Barry Rachel Langer Susan Nielsen like on the show um, uh, Jenica Harper you know talking about like, and, like I'm always like what goes on in there what goes on in there but I've like I've <laughs> kind of like moved beyond that um, and I, I'm curious like what are some of the um you know, because that's kind of a collaborative space. Like, even if it's not a physical room anymore for a lot of things, it can end up just being like a screen of Zoom boxes or whatever. Like, what? but what are, do you think are some kind of like attitudes or practices or, you know, I don't know, expectations to bring into that kind of space, you know? And especially if you're like, you are you know, you, you want to be part of a writer's room and you want to, you know, you want like, but maybe you haven't had that, like that kind of like that teamwork, yeah. you know, um, and team experience, you know, as a writer, because often a lot of it is, you know, I mean, a singular, you know, just me, me and my word processing program. You oh, know? I totally get yeah. it. I mean, I have to say it's the only thing that could ever pry me away from VFS would be a writer's room. Yeah. Because I find them fascinating too. Yeah. Um, and they're wonderful. I mean, I've been very lucky, partly because of the writer's strike. But I mean, we've got Jonathan Lloyd Walker, Dennis Heaton, um, and Sarah B. Cooper all working at VFS. And I, and also Gorman Lee, uh, Laura Doyle, Rick Drew, like all these amazing experienced television writers. Yeah. And I'm trying to build the television stream so that it's a revolving door. Yeah. So that people can come when they're not working as as writers or showrunners. And then as soon as they get a job, they can leave. Yeah. And I can I can slot someone in but then welcome them back fantastic um, because I want people who are working writers who are in rooms who are able to say this is what it's like now yeah not this is what it's like 40 years ago but this is what it's like right now yeah and also maybe I didn't know you had uh, John door. Lloyd Walker in oh I love he's right? a great yeah. teacher he just did a, we just did this all access event at VFS and he spoke uh, you know because he's an actor as well as yeah. a showrunner he's really charismatic and you know just I mean the students love him yeah but same thing with 
with Dennis, actually. Dennis is like the, the prickly exterior with the softest, gooeyest inside. Don't and tell him I said loudest, that. <laughs> I call him all sorts of things when he's here. Um, I get the loudest laugh, so generous, oh. and I just love his brain, you yeah. know? Like, I just, like, I think it's, I mean, what incredible opportunities, you know, um, and any writer in Vancouver has because of that kind of the access, Ooh. you know, to, to like the, these kind of like, oh, so let's have this conversation then. If you're if I'm a and I'm not because like this is I'm, I'm living my dream job right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but if I'm like, I want to get into a writer's room and I will say, I do want to look at a writer's room, but just like look in. Yeah. <laughs> Observe yeah, yeah. a writer's room, um, you know, or I want to be or I want to be a, like I want to just work in the industry or I want to improve. And I have the opportunity to have a coffee with Kat Montague or yeah. Dennis Heaton or, you know, Simon Barry or whatever. What are some of like the questions, you know, that you think that like what is the best way to use that time or any any chance? That's a great question. You know, you have to talk to somebody who is in a position to tell you something. Well, I mean, the, tr the first of all, the trouble with writers' rooms is that there are, there's no advertising those jobs. Yeah. You no know, one advertises for a staff writer. There is no, you know, no one puts a writing assistant for television series on Indeed, right? Yeah. You don't, you don't see that. So how do people get jobs? They get jobs through people that they know. Yeah. And people out there are like, well, I don't know anyone. How am I supposed to get that job? you ask for that coffee yeah you know i mean dennis is a good example of someone who is you know he, he obviously is limited in the amount of time that he has because he's a very very busy guy yeah. but when he has a minute he will take a coffee with a new writer he did that with rachel langer and he's yeah, yeah and he's absolutely mentored her up and he's she's amazing she was on transplant until very recently yeah. she's she's one of my she made me cry i watched one of her episode of ties that bind oh. and i cried it was so good she's a wonderful writer um wonderful writer yeah wonderful human big star trek next generation fan too so oh, i love that yeah, all, all the good ones <laughs> well so i mean that's that's the tricky thing right i mean obviously at, at vfs writing we bring people in as guest speakers and as instructors in the hope that they will get to know the students yeah. and then when they are looking for a writer's assistant they will think of them yeah like that's the goal it's a you know um fingers crossed yeah um but you know there are other programs that do a really good job of of kind of making those pathways. Pacific Screenwriting Program, obviously, is wonderful. Amazing. Very hard to get into, yeah. six people per year, but they have a professional showrunner. They had obviously Janica, and this year they've got Michael McLennan. Oh, what a catch. Amazing. I love him. He was the showrunner for Queer as Folk and, and Pretty Little Things. Oh, he's amazing. Um, and then, uh, you know, then there's Canadian Film Center Primetime, like yeah. that Primetime program. Uh, it's fantastic too. And they do a similar kind of simulated writer's room. Yeah. Um, and those programs are good because they sort of put your head above the parapet and they make people see you and your work. I love the visual, by the way. I literally just imagine like a little writer like peeking over a castle, <laughs> arrows flying. I'm like, oh! <laughs> it's the hardest thing about being a writer. Yeah. You know, you can meet a writer and they can be lovely and charismatic, but you can't tell whether they can write yeah. unless you read their work. And nobody wants to read your work because they're busy. Yeah. And it's, it's the great catch-22 of trying to break in as a writer. Um, so you have to get coffee with with Dennis Heaton and be a cool enough person that when you follow up to say thank you so much for the coffee I really appreciate it I really you know thank you for answering all my questions would you be willing to read 10 pages of my script 
that Dennis Heaton says yes. Oh my God, I'm sorry, Dennis. I know you're about to get gonna so kill us. many messages. He's going to kill us. He is incredibly busy and I do know that. So don't, yeah. don't, and we're not just talking about him. I mean, there's also the Rob Coopers and the Jonathan Lloyd Walkers and yeah. the Simon Barrys and the Jenica Harpers. And the, you know, we have yeah. amazing showrunners in this city. Yeah. And, you know, we really shouldn't have to bring showrunners from anywhere else to work here. We have amazing people here. Yeah, from here. And, you know, I mean, yeah. again, you're, you're Rachel Lang, you have people coming up, like Rachel Langer um, and Sarah B. Cooper's been a showrunner before. And, you know, there are yeah. wonderful, uh, wonderful television writers here. Laura Doyle does this assimilated writer's room in our program. It's so fun. Wow. Um, and it gives people a chance to figure out that dynamic, you know, breaking an episode, suggesting ideas, pitching, you know, pitching plots, pitching yeah. storylines for a particular character. And, you know, that dynamic of working together as writers and then breaking it up into into episodes and, and going away and writing your draft and then coming, coming back, back together yeah. and having rewriting each other's scripts. I mean, it, it is the most collaborative writing endeavor anywhere. You know, game writing is pretty collaborative too, but television writers' yeah. rooms are, it's a special place. Yeah. And, and it's amazing. One day, one of the <laughs> people that you mentioned will just invite me in <laughs> just to sit there and watch. I'll, I'll, I'll bring some coffee. I just wow. don't want to say anything. I just want to be there. Um, our time together is coming to an end. I'm sad to stay. Uh, let's, let's go back. What's, you love time travel. I, I really love do. time travel too. Yeah, yeah. yeah me too. Um, so okay, so here here's the scenario. Okay, we're gonna get into the TARDIS, um, and we're gonna go back to the beginning of your career in film and TV. Um, you have a minute to give yourself some words of wisdom, some advice. I don't know what you're gonna say, you know, but something that would help you, perhaps, you know, in in the journey ahead. Without and it won't mess with the space time continuum that much. I'm mixing my franchises here. Um, <laughs> I'll still what, have my yeah. data. Yeah, still, yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. Oh, um, so what what advice would you give? Well, there was a moment when someone offered me the job of writer's assistant on Da Vinci's Inquest, Whoa. and I said no because I wanted to be a feature film writer. And I thought, well, that's taking me away from my path. Yeah. I was an idiot. I should have said, yes. You could have observed oh my Chris God, Haddock Chris in Haddock. his head. Amazing, <laughs> at his prime. I mean, yeah. fantastic showrunner. Um, so, I mean, I look back and I think I should have said yes more. I should have fought for the experiences that I wanted because the good things I've experienced in my life has always come as a result of me going to someone and saying, I would like this, please. Yeah. Can you help me achieve that? And it's hard to do, especially if you're, you know, an introvert or you're, you know, a lowly writer and you don't know anyone yet. But not asking, a lot of writers, we're, we're not exactly known for like, um, hi, uh, how are no. you? Like putting on a little song and dance, you know. And you kind of have show. to do it, right? Yeah. It's funny. I saw Rothgar. Uh, Rothgar. Rothgar. Yeah, the other day. Yeah. He's a wonderful guy. Married to Gabrielle Rose. And, and an actor. And, and the, yeah. the loveliest person. Yeah. And he was the person I went to my very first first film and television event yeah. and I can't remember what it was now it could have been the Leos or something um, anyway I didn't know anyone and I was just standing there looking awkward and I didn't know anyone and he saw me and I was probably 22 or 3 something like that oh my gosh. Um, and he was like 
you can come and hang out with us. And I was like, oh, really? Hi, I'm Kat. And I just, I was so embarrassed. And, and I reminded him of this the other day because yeah. I, I saw him at, um, what was it? I saw him at something or other the other day. And, and, and he was like, oh, yeah, I remember that. Uh, and, and he said, it was at the UBCP Awards. That's what it was at. Oh. Um, and, and I said, you know, I, I never really properly thanked you. You know, you re- really made me feel welcome. Mm. And he said, no, nah, you know, I mean, that's what, it's, that's what our business is like. That's what it should be like. I hope you do that for other people. And I do. Yeah. And I, th- I feel like people outside our business don't understand that it can be really friendly and welcoming and inclusive. Yeah. And, and I really love that. And it's not swimming with sharks, you know. It's not like that. Not in Vancouver, no. especially. Like and it's yeah. It's about I would just like, say, you know, come up and talk to people. Introduce yeah. yourself. Tell people what you want, yeah. and someone's going to help you try and achieve that. Yeah, yeah, and. Build your community, mm-hmm. you know, and it's not just like about like um, making connections, but actually connecting with people that you can grow up in this yeah. industry together, like whatever point you are. I think that is that's great advice. Yeah. It's good advice for now. Yeah. And I mean, people, you're going to help them. Yeah. And as they help you. Yeah. And that's, and it's not just a transactional thing. You'll no make support. Yeah. You'll make real friends though. Yeah. I mean, people, in, I love the people in our business because they're creative yeah. and they're, you know, they're warm hearted and supportive of each other. And I, I just think it's one of the best businesses in the world. So, yeah. I mean, I agree as I clearly have dedicated like, my <laughs> life to, to just uh, singing singing uh, the praises of this community. I'm so glad you're part of this community. I'm so glad I will now be putting your photo on my community wall. Um, Kat Montague, where can our listeners find you, follow you, celebrate you, ask you for a coffee <laughs> so that it's just not Dennis buying the coffee. Oh, poor Dennis. You know? He's going to hate me now. <laughs> yeah. um, you, you know, I'm on all social media. I think yeah. I'm on, not all, not, I'm not on there's so many now. It's fine. Yeah. yeah. So I'm I'm still on X. It's bizarre that I, I am. call it Twitter. I normally will like know. you know respect if pe- when people are like, no, this is what I'm actually am. Except when it's Elon Musk. <laughs> <laughs> I'm calling it Twitter. <laughs> I, I don't use Instagram very often, but I am there. To be honest, I'm of an age. The one I use most often is Facebook. Yeah. Um, but I use LinkedIn a lot actually. LinkedIn I find really useful, especially yeah. in the video game. Uh, I was gonna say, Paul, well, yeah. you use it a lot for the business. Of yeah. course, yeah. yeah. So I mean, anyone's free to reach out to me if I have time I will have that coffee otherwise we could have a quick zoom or you know just ask me a question in a message yeah and I'm always willing to help you know I and if remember not what Kat, it felt like if not cat Dennis Heaton is no no <laughs> I know Dennis is, is not available because actually he's taking a, a one-term break from working for us because he's too busy so I'm just going to say not him uh not now because he's got You're a so show nice. i'm totally tagging him <laughs> <laughs> we love you dennis heaton and and no. your brain he <laughs> and is lovely you, and if people want to learn more about uh the writing department at vfs where can they go oh we have a website you can go and have a look at our website it's got information about our programs yeah. and our faculty and all of that kind of thing reach out to one of our admissions people if you're interested they'll show you around uh, and it's a cool place. I mean, we have a capture studio right in the middle of the yeah. of the of the studios. Can I just say, like, I was really I had visited. Um, speaking of stories, I had visited uh, VFS like back when it was Storyum, and I've seen like the train that they literally can't lift out of there. And and now it's like when I was walking through there, I'm like, this is like a well, one peek into like you know where there was like doing like post animation. It looked like 
any post-production studio in town you know yeah. like just that and then like even we've rented space at the at you know one of the studios to do our own like you know shoots and stuff there like it's a you want to go to school in an actual like studio like yeah. that's what it is and the writing department is very different but we still use the motion capture studios on occasion because we our students write motion capture scripts and then go and film them which <sighs> is that. really exciting yeah but the, the writing program is in 198 west hastings and we have a whole floor of writing and then a big room and a, and a computer lab with unreal engine and things like that you have unreal there yeah oh yeah that's cool our students are making games yeah we're an unreal we're unreal studio as well so uh, excellent well, not as well but we that's that's yeah. that's uh, yeah. So if a student at VFS get in touch with us when you're, <laughs> when you're ready to get into a workforce, um, that's so cool. Yeah, this was great. I'm very happy. Oh well, I'd <laughs> thank say, you so much. It's just wonderful to see you. And I have to say, there's a lot of pictures in your office that I'm very envious of. Um, some of my favorite actors I see: Richard Harmon, Vincent Gale, oh Sarah Edmondson. I love her. Oh, I, yeah. you know, you've had amazing people. I'm going to watch more of your podcast. It's was, listen. It's an audio thing. Oh, I mean, yeah. listen. I always say, I always say, watch. I don't know why, um, because there are some visual podcasts that I that I do watch, and yeah. then some audio ones that well, I. Well, I'm going to announce right now. I'm actually going to start. Um, I'm not going to have like a visual podcast yet because I'm very like some traditional podcaster, which is we were talking about like this like <laughs> relatively new technology. Um, but we are going to start having like a, a version of the podcast that's for people who quote unquote watch but on YouTube you know because that's how some people will just stream their podcasts you know as part of their like so it'll be like a stationary like picture um, but yeah you can uh, we're, we're doing that in the new year we're so. going to be adding we being Jessica Bradford who's one of our faculty members is going to be adding an audio podcast class yeah. in the writing department at VFS so we would love you to come in as a guestie one of these Ooh, days okay well you heard it you heard it here first yeah we would I would love that and uh, that's fa that is fantastic and anything that we've talked about but not Dennis here email address um, but I'll, I'll pop links to vfs and everything uh in the footnotes for this episode well thank you very much cat oh thank you sabrina and thank you listeners this was a this was a wonderful episode uh and it is our last this is the first of our last two episodes of 2023 um so i thank you all very much for joining us uh please like subscribe leave us a review if you are so inclined uh they, they keep me going. They just, they make me happy. They also help us find new listeners and uh, we can keep having incredible conversations like the one we had with this preeminent storyteller today. You can find us at YVRScreenScene.com. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram at YVRScreenScene. The YVRScreenScene podcast is hosted and executive produced by me, Sabrina Ranimera Ferminger, and it's edited by, oh, here come the Fermingers, by Simon Ferminger. Special thanks to Mariana Ferminger for recording our Patreon ad and also being the 13-year-old in all of my examples and to Paul Ferminger for technical support. YVR Screen Scene is a division of Fish Flight Entertainment. Happy Christmas, happy Hanukkah, happy New Year. Join us next time for another deep dive into Vancouver's dynamic film and television scene. And cut! Hi friends, Kat Law Hedquist here and I'm excited to introduce you to thedramaclass.com. Thedramaclass.com provides online workshops and classes designed to provide inspiration and instruction in the sometimes overlooked areas you need to be successful in your acting career. Things that they don't often cover in studio classes. Things like tax prep for actors, the power of costume in getting a job, what to do if you primarily work on camera and find yourself with a voiceover audition, what you can do to adjust your performance to the camera lenses being used, and so much more. Maximize your opportunities by filling in the gaps that will make your craft 
your career. Visit us at thedramaclass.com, sign up for our newsletter, follow us on social, and explore what will take you to the next level.